0: You're listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into his word. I wonder if you've ever thought about how starting your day has changed over the years. Now, if you reverse all the way back to your very beginning of life, someone else picked you up, changed you, dressed you, fed you, that's how you started your day early on in your life. Maybe fast forward a few years later and you began to start your life on your own a little bit. I don't know, maybe mom, dad, grandma, whoever was taking care of you would wake you up but then you were kind of on your own to get ready to get your breakfast to get your lunch or to get out the door to school I remember those routines then you get a little bit older you go off to college or maybe you get a job and you start adulting a little bit and now nobody there is to wake you up and you got to do it on your own and we all try to find an alarm sound that we don't hate or makes us want to bite somebody's head off the first time we see them in the morning right Or if you hear somebody else's alarm sound on the phone it just makes it triggers you because you're like i hate that sound it means i have to get up then you fast forward to maybe today and we have to figure out how we're going to start our day what kind of routine we're going to get into because all of us have some kind of morning routine we eat breakfast or we don't we shower or we don't we brush our teeth or we don't. If you're, that last one is you, then please change that routine. But we have these routines, and it could include all kinds of things that I don't have time to go into. But for the sake of our subject matter today, I want to talk about a routine that I've noticed a little bit just in life. And it's that routine of the, those of us who go to fill up our favorite bottomless cup, whatever that is. You know what I'm talking about, right? The the cup that you go to and and you pay a little bit more for, but you get to keep it, and then you can bring it back to that place and fill it up at a discounted price. I got a few of those down here, like like this one. This is the like the Big Daddy Starbucks one, right? And you're supposed to you get this one and you can fill it up. Probably not anymore because you know that that that's. Cheap, for that would be too cheap, and so now we probably have to pay full price. But at one point, you could kind of fill this up at a little discounted price, and that, that's the kind of cup. But the, the people or the, the industry that kind of took it to the next level was the gas station industry, right? They, the, the kangaroo or Circle K or, or 7-Eleven, and they gave you a cup that no human being should ever drink in one city. Polar pop or whatever. I remember like one of Josiah's first purchases that he made with his first paycheck was to go to Circle K and get one of those big monster refillable cups. Like, that's really what you're gonna do with your first paycheck? Yes, I'm gonna buy one of those big ginormous cups that I could fill up with Mountain Dew or whatever. And like, nobody should drink that in a week, much less in a day. And yet I go to the gas station and maybe you're that person and it's just wherever it is. And they go fill it up. It's like I got one of those like it's not actually this is one of my wife's. It's like it's like about this big, right? Or maybe bigger. She fills this with water, thank God. If I were to fill this with water, all I'd do is stay in the bathroom all day. But that's the cup that you fill up. And it's great, but I probably shouldn't drink that much Mountain Dew before noon. And some of us do. Or coffee for that matter. But the reality is, I get this, no matter how you start your day with one of those, one thing is true, the bigger the container you fill up, the longer it usually takes for it to get empty. The bigger the container, the more you can hold. How we start our day really matters, and it says a lot about us. It says a lot about how the rest of the day is going to go. This is probably why David said in Psalm 63, early will I seek you. How you start anything, a race, life, a project, whatever, how you start a marriage, it matters. Or one of the more powerful verses to initiate your day is found in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. You don't have to turn there, but this is what it says about Jesus. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Rising very early while it was still dark. Think about that. Think about the times that you have done this in life. And maybe you do this every day because of your job. True statement, what we are willing to rise early for says a lot about our priorities in life. That's why I don't hunt. You can hunt if you want to. It's just not a priority in my life. I ain't getting up that early to go shoot a deer or anything. I'm not getting up that early to go fish. I love my fishermen, but man, that was the one thing when I'd go fishing with my dad. It's like, what time were you leaving? Like 5 a.m., 4.30. What? The fish can't be awake then. Why are we? We got to get out there before they wake. So when they wake up, we feed them, and they bite the fish, and then we go. Oh, okay. What about the gym? I know a guy who gets up every week, and he loves Jesus, so this isn't a knock on him. He's a pastor friend of mine, but he gets up to play pickup basketball every Wednesday and goes and plays pickup basketball at 530 in the morning with a group of people. I'm like, what kind of people play pickup basketball at 530 in the morning? People, that's a priority. That's what they're going to do. Along with this, no matter when we rise, think about this, what we do first thing in the morning says a lot about our priorities in life. To know this, to know that God's voice could be the first voice that you hear in the morning. To know that that the prayers that you are about to pray, whatever they are, that, that God is there waiting for you to hear you, to listen to you, to be with you, is an amazing reality. But our morning routine, our early morning rising says a lot about us. Is this how we fill our hearts each and every day? Let's liken our hearts to this cup because the, the Bible does that a little bit, something that it's filled up. Let's liken our hearts to, to these types of cups. What do we put in them first thing in the morning? Because Scripture says in different places that we would fill our hearts, right? And we can call our, this cup our hearts, if you will, to the spiritual growth, depending on how big the container is, is incumbent upon our spiritual growth, uh, what we've experienced, how we're cultivating our relationship with the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the body of Christ. How much time and effort are we putting into our relationship with God? Regardless, our hearts need to be filled, and this needs to be a part of our daily routine, just like pulling into Circle K and filling up that ginormous cup. The next obvious question would be then filled with what? What do we fill our hearts with? So that's where we're going to turn to our text this morning. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians 5, verse 18 through 21. Carla spoke a little bit about the next verses that follow. She did a phenomenal job last week teaching. And I just applaud her, not only her preparation, but her delivery on an extremely difficult subject. Probably the best message that I've ever heard. And I haven't heard a lot, that says a lot too, on biblical womanhood. Powerful. If you didn't hear it or you missed it, go listen to it. (laughs) Ephesians 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, which we talked a little bit last week, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. God, would you bless your word and change our lives. From the passage of Scripture that we just read, we see that we are to be filled with the Spirit. Commentators differ on all the the reasons why Paul started off this particular thought with don't get drunk with wine. There's a lot of thoughts of why that, why did he say that, but it seems the most uh, probable reason is this, that he's making an attention-grabbing comparison and contrast to being filled with the Spirit, which is what he is most concerned with. He's not so much concerned about don't do this. He's more concerned about do this. But I'm gonna make a contrast in a comparison. He's given two, we are given two commands. This is what he does. He says, don't get drunk, do be filled with the spirit. That's the two commands. And then he has this little Compare and contrast. Drunkenness really is symbolic of of losing control of your life and living in such a way that you're living without God's direction and control of your life. That's what debauchery is. Living without God. Wasting your life without him. Whereas being filled with the Holy Spirit means constantly being controlled by the Spirit of God in our mind, and in our emotions, in our will, and our actions. And basically what you can take from this very simply is don't let anything control you more than the Holy Spirit of God. Nothing. Yes, don't get drunk, but don't let anything control you other than the Spirit of God. So let's do the compare and contrast that Paul's doing by example Maybe you have at some point been greatly inebriated or drunk. Maybe you know somebody because you would never do such a thing that has been drunk before. I remember one of the first times that I was with a friend of mine. We were in high school, and I was spending the night with him, and and that night he just got wasted. And I was not. I was the one that was trying to be responsible and uh, I just remember going to bed that night and him just moaning and barfing and just, oh, I'll never do that again. Well, that never didn't last but until the next weekend, right? I'll never do that again. But maybe you've been in a situation, you yourself or a friend, where you see that, and what do we say? That person is under the influence of Alcohol. Comparing that, Paul's saying, those that are Spirit-filled believers are supposed to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And that's where the comparison ends. And then now he starts to just contrast everything. And Paul starts to contrast the two. And I think it's a mistake to think of being filled with the Holy Spirit as some kind of spiritual inebriation. Where we lose control and can't remember what happened in the Spirit being filled with the spirit seems to be quite the opposite that if we are under the influence of the holy spirit we would exhibit the fruit of the holy spirit and one of that is self control so unlike drunkenness where we lose control in the being under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we are gaining self-control over sinful patterns in our lives, over destructive thoughts in our minds, over harmful actions in our early morning or life routines. If our experience has been losing control in the Holy Spirit in church and then getting no self-control over our daily lives in the world, then we might better check what spirit we're under the influence under. Another contrast would be that the drunk would call attention to themselves, while the spirit-filled believer calls attention to Christ, who they are a witness for. You might say, "Well, what about Acts and Pentecost? Didn't they said well they must have been drunk? They must have been doing something crazy, right? Did the people think that they were filled with the Spirit? Those filled filled with the Spirit people were acting like they were drunk. That's what they said." But it wasn't because of the wild actions of those who had been filled. It was because of the wild misunderstanding of those who had not. Let me put it this way. Don't be surprised if the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is mockingly misinterpreted by those who don't have the Holy Spirit in their life. Whenever you start to do spirit-empowered actions, be ready for the ridicule and the misunderstanding and the perplexity as to what you're doing. Be ready for that to come, even at the point where it'd be like, man, you must be drunk. Why? Because I give a large portion of my income back to God through giving in the church? Why? Because I want to walk in sexual purity before my marriage as a single person or inside of the context of my wedding bed? Why? Because I want to pray for those who spitefully use me and hate me? I must be drunk? Unredeemed minds will either be in awe of or mock what the Spirit of God is doing. Unregenerate people are always ready to offer a natural explanation for spiritual or supernatural phenomena. And in this case, the unbelievers in Acts at Pentecost were mockingly explaining the exhilaration that was caused by the filling of the Holy Spirit. And they did so in terms of getting drunk on some kind of new wine. Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, who was both a minister and a medical doctor, made this observation. Pharmacologically, alcohol is a depressant. It depresses, first and foremost, the highest centers of the brain. The portion of the brain that gives us self control, that gives us wisdom, understanding, the ability to make good judgment, the ability to balance things well, and the ability to assess things wisely. By contrast, if we could think of pharmacologically about what the filling of the Holy Spirit does, being under the influence of the Holy Spirit, it does the exact opposite. The Holy Spirit stimulates our mind, stimulates our intellect, stimulates our heart and our will for God's glory. If being under the influence of alcohol dehumanizes us, being filled with the Spirit makes us more human as God intended because we look more like Jesus. So let's summarize it this way. The baptism of the Holy Spirit means that I belong to Christ's body, whereas the filling of the Holy Spirit means that my body belongs to Christ. He's the one that's controlling my life, my actions, my thoughts. So what does the filled cup look like? Paul goes on to give us some results of what being filled with the Holy Spirit looks like. So we're going to unpack them and we're going to see that we're not losing something when he says, don't do this, because that's what we often think. It's like, well, I don't do this, so I'm going to lose that, but uh, then I'll do this. No, you're not losing something, you're gaining something. It's a good trade. Did you know every time you trade something with God, you give up something that is invaluable to, or, or that is not worth anything to get something that is priceless? I'm going to trade my sins for your righteousness. I'm going to trade my ashes for your beauty. I'm going to trade this drunkenness for being filled with the Spirit. It's not forfeiting something, but fulfilling something. And here's what I mean. These are what being filled with the Spirit is, and and how he describes it, joyful, thankful, and submissive joyful thankful and submissive so let's unpack these a little bit take them in just let's look at them real quick filled equals joyful thankful submissive just think about yourself right now does that describe you no i'm more like angry ungrateful and rebellious that's me okay good let's be honest But this is what we're supposed to look like, being filled with the Spirit. And although we don't see this actual word joyful in the passage, what we do see is the description of Christian fellowship, which is what we're doing today. That's what the church would be with the inclusion of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, meaning in this context, public worship, corporate worship together. Joy is an intrinsic mark of the Christian fellowship and the worship of Spirit-filled people. Joy should mark our gatherings together. So we could say this, joyful fellowship, joyful worship, and a joyful witness is the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. These three things have always been the mark of the church. Marked by joy since the birth of the church in Antioch at Pentecost when the Spirit of God fell on the people of God and the church of Christ was born. Our new life in Christ puts a new song, Scripture says, in our hearts and on our lips. So we want to be, what's the result? We want to be with others who are singing the same song of the redeemed, and we want other people that don't know the song to be a part of joining in the chorus as well. See, when you're joyful, you want to sing, and you kind of want to share your joy with other people. Other people that you know would appreciate the joy that you have, right? I think y'all know what I'm talking about, kind of that song that kind of bubbles up, like, going on a date with my wife tonight, no kids, no kids. Okay, don't y'all do that? That's fine. You do, you do these songs in the car, you're singing these songs, even if you can't sing, you're singing these songs. Vacation, leaving all these jerks behind. Mm. All right, I don't know. I'm just thinking some of the songs that you might sing. I just got a raise, (laughs) gonna go buy me something. Mm. All right, yeah, but what about this? You saved me, and you set me free, and you did it for him, and you did it for her, and you did it for me. I'm just making stuff up right now. This ain't no song. It's my song. I can't wait to get together with my family and worship King Jesus. God is good all the time. He's been better than good to me. Don't, 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 down, out, down, out. I can't wait to get to church today and worship Jesus. Yeah, I'm playing my belly bass. That's okay. That's okay. My kids hate it when I play my belly bass, but that's just that's what happens at 52. See, when Christians gather together, we love to sing to God. And we love to sing to each other, when you got saved, God made you a singer, whether you sing or not. Spirit-filled Christians have a song of joy in their hearts. And when we gather corporately together, spirit-filled worship will be a joyful celebration of all that God has done and all that God is still going to do, regardless of what's going on around us. Yeah. Listen, here's, here's what we need to understand, because I, I want to speak to this. This is not a joy that's affected by our life here and now. This is not a joy that is affected by the things that are going on in the world right now. Our joy, every time we gather, why I look so forward to gathering together with the church is a deep experience of security and adequacy and confidence in Christ alone, despite my current circumstances and situations. This is an abiding joy that never leaves, which has always marked the church. Remember Pentecost? Their odd, joyful worship caused some to mock them as drunk. They didn't know what to do with the joyful worship of people that shouldn't have been worshiping God together. The joy of a believer is always a work of the Holy Spirit, and it's confounding and it's inexplicable to the unrenewed mind. I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't know how they do that during the early years of the church when persecution was rampant. And when I say persecution, I'm not talking about getting canceled, I'm talking about getting killed. Nonetheless, joyful fellowship and worship was the mark of the church's gatherings. As one ruler put it at the time, Pliny the Younger, he was writing to the larger emperor over that area at the time. This was probably 200, 300 AD. And he said about the Christians who he was executing. They were executing. He's like, I just got to make sure I'm understanding why we're executing them. And do, should we chase after them or, or should we just bring them in? And when we realize that they're Christians, we just ask them if they are. And that's what he said. We'll just ask them. And if they don't deny Christ, we'll ask them again. If they don't deny Christ, and we'll ask them again. And on the third time, if they don't deny Christ, then we'll kill them. And then he said this, and if they do deny Christ, they're probably not Christians anyway, so I'm not worried about them. But he said this, I have discerned only three things about these Christians. They sing to Christ, they take moral vows, and they eat together. That's it. This joy should mark us Mark the church today a joy of being together, a joy of being one in the Lord, a joy of being willing to share our homes and meals together. Next we see gratitude, verse 20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know why gratitude is the work of the Holy Spirit? You know why I know that? Because my default is to be grumbling by nature. We are all grumblers by nature. So I know that gratitude is a work of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So instead, he say, "Be filled with the Spirit and be grateful for what? For other people, which is also a sign of humility." Notice the verses also say, "Giving thanks for everything." Well, does this mean we have to give thanks for bad things and even blatant evil? Absolutely not. We acknowledge the bad, we acknowledge the wrong, we acknowledge the evil, and at the same time, we can still acknowledge our trust in God. We can still claim and pray and joyfully sing to God. that Romans 8:28 is true, and God takes all things and can work them together for his good, for those whose hearts belong to him and are called according to his purposes. But here's what we're doing in that moment. We are praising God for being God, not praising God for the bad things or the evil. We still need to grieve with those who are grieving. We still need to hate what God hates and not praise or thank God for it because there's no reason to thank him for it because he didn't do it. Just like today. And I'm going to say this in light of us being a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church, a unique thing that shouldn't be that unique. That in light of the shooting in Buffalo yesterday by a self-avowed white supremacist who had some sort of replacement theory ideology, that we have to be the church that comes together with an abiding joy in Christ that we would love one another, that people would look at us today and look throughout this room today and see all the different ages and ethnicities in this room and go, I don't get it, y'all must be drunk. No, we just believe in the supremacy of Christ over all things, including every blatant evil and lie that the world tries to throw at us to divide us. So in Focus Church, I'm encouraging you today to worship God with joy with one another in the face of blatant evil in our world that must be addressed and must be talked about and must be looked at and said, not in this church. I sent a text to my pastor friends this morning and said, I'm praying for all of you as you deal with people. As we said, we still grieve with those who grieve while still having an abiding joy in the fact that Jesus is king. I said, I'm praying for all of you. I'm praying for all of your churches as you navigate through and bring hope and healing, and then I'm praying for the churches that don't say a word because of indifference, apathy, or fear. So in context, here's what we can best understand that Paul means, that giving thanks to God, being grateful to God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's what we're grateful for. Everything that is consistent with God, that's what we're grateful for. His love, his goodness, everything that we've seen in the life of Jesus Christ, everything that we see in the life of Christ through his word, who is the embodiment of God the Father, that's what deserves gratitude. That's what we're grateful for. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we give thanks Thanks to God the Father, it says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, despite everything else. And the last result of being filled with the Spirit is being submissive. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is one of the things that I see the most least of many times in the body of Christ. Some translations say, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. Those who are truly filled with the Holy Spirit are not afraid to humble themselves and display meekness, which is strength under control, and gentleness of Christ. And this is most evidenced in how we submit to one another. Is it any surprise to you what Carla taught last week that this precedes all of that? All of our relationships, husbands and wives, sons and daughters, all of our relationships in the world, are going to hang on whether we are filled with the Spirit and submitting to one another as Christ submits to the Father. This submission is strong and free, a free act of the will based on our real love for other people. Spirit-filled believers love God and love each other that's i mean what's our mission statement love god love people reach the world that's what spirit filled believers do if we're truly filled with the spirit it's going to be reflected in how we relate to god how we relate to one another and how we mutually submit to one another christians are called to live in mutual submission without mutual submission you cannot fulfill your destiny it's just not possible in the end, submission is nothing more than a decision about the relative worth of another person, a manner of dying to ourselves and rising with Christ and a way to respect and love other people in a way that is contrary to the world system. So let's go back to our cups. All of these actions, and let me just add, because there are, the, I, I've got the big cups out right now, but I want to say something about this in a minute. All of the actions that we just talked about come out of our responsibility to be filled with the Spirit. Remember, Ephesians says that really this is who we are in Christ, and because of who we are in Christ, this is how we live. That's all of Ephesians. If you kind of talk our overarching thing, this is who you are in Christ, and because this is who you are in Christ, this is how you live. Not, this is how you should live so you could, Jesus will love you more. That's not it. That's not the gospel. This is who you are in Christ, and because of that, this is how we live. And so remember, that's what the theme is, and this phrase, be filled with the Spirit, has some very grammatical nuances that I wanna go through all for you English verb-type nerds. This is for us, particularly this verb, be filled, which is an imperative mood, plural form, passive voice, and present tense. That all matters. Let me tell you why. The imperative form means it's a command. This is not an option for Christians. It's not optional whether you should be filled with the Spirit. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's in plural form because what does that mean? It means it's for everybody. It's not just for a few elite spiritual people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's every believer is to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Nobody should get drunk. Everybody should be filled because the Holy Spirit is available to all of God's people. It's in passive voice, meaning what? Let the Holy Spirit fill you. There's no magical words. There's no magical step-by-step formula. There's no something that you've got to do to make it happen. There is a need in your heart to be repentant. There's repentance. There's a belief and a faith and an openness to the Holy Spirit to do a work in your life and that nothing would hinder him from filling your life. Let him have his way. And then lastly, this verb is present tense. And to me, this is probably the most important. This makes being filled with the Spirit a necessary part of your day, just as necessary as swinging into Circle K or your favorite gas station and filling up your favorite bottomless cup. This action is continuous. This means that we are to continue to be filled with the Spirit. The fullness of the Spirit is not a once and for all experience, but a daily privilege to be continually asked for by those who desire to be filled with God's Spirit continually asked for, continually believed in, continually apprehended by faith, continually appropriated through our obedient, God-glorifying, Christ-exalting actions. We often get hung up on how we're filled with the Spirit instead of agreeing that we must continually be filled with the Spirit. I'm not so much concerned how you got filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm just concerned of whether or not you're continuing to be filled with the Holy Spirit and whether your life reflects the filling of the Spirit in the ways that we just went through. Are you joyful, are you grateful, and are you submissive? Those should be a consistent, obvious actions of the Spirit-filled believer. And I think we could further define it, what we see in Ephesians, define it this way. Those that are filled by the Holy Spirit experience joyful fellowship, empowered worship, and a bold witness. Here's the wonderful news. Our Heavenly Father says... He loves to give his Holy Spirit to those who ask. That everybody that asks, seeks, finds, will find him. Do you feel dry? Are you weary? Are you tired of talking so much about the gloriousness of God, the theology, and all of that, and yet not experiencing the reality of it? Does your worship feel distracted, disconnected, not joyful? Are you lacking gratitude to God? Are you lacking submitting to brothers and sisters in Christ who have your best interest in mind? Or maybe submitting to God even when somebody doesn't have your best interest in mind? Do you long for spiritual fruit in your life? And if that's the case, then you're a good candidate to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Your dryness and discouragement may in fact be an invitation from God to press into him so that you can be filled in something like Jesus told the woman at the well, water that will never run dry. If you're not disillusioned with how much we've allowed our talk to outdo our walk, if you're not discontented with the sparse amount of spiritual fruit that you're truly seeing in your life, if you're not disappointed a little bit by the impotence of our own efforts apart from God's power, if you're not distressed enough to really plead with God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, then, then, then you don't have to. But if you come to that place where you are, then you can cry out to him very simply with that desperation and say, God, I need you. Holy Spirit, would you fill me afresh today and fill me and give me whatever gift that you want to give me today because the word says you give as you desire and I'll take whatever you desire to give me and use me, whatever it takes, Lord. Let me go back here and I'll finish because, as I said, let's think of these containers as our hearts. Because this will be like the largest one. Because then I have some other ones. Like, you know, here's this one I got from Witch Witch. Rest in peace. Before they went out of business. Um, this is a good old In Focus Tumbler. Back in the day. Used that one a lot. This is a, this is a cup I've had since I was a kid. And I used to brush my teeth with. The drinking water. Why do you still have that, Brent? I don't know. And then, you know. A little Dixie cup. Which is your heart? You can get up as early as you want. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your time being filled with the Spirit of God through His Word, through prayer, through worship? through so just taking a little bit of time. Here's, I'll give you an example because I think about these cups and I think about running a race. And Paul says that we run the races we want to win, but we don't run the race to win in the kingdom of God the same way that we run a race to win here on earth. Because this is how, you know, on those long mile, multi-mile races, there's people along the sides of the race. I don't know that because I've never done one. I'm just saying, I've heard about it, I've seen it. And there's somebody there with this cup, right? They're holding it out and it's about this big. This is my example of how we often run the race with the Holy Spirit in our lives today. I got this. Like water going everywhere. I got like three drops because I'm too concerned about finishing the race. Too concerned about getting on with the day. Too concerned about trying to get you know, the hustle on. And yet, really, what we should be doing, although we're running the race, yeah, that's great. But like I said, we don't run this race the same way that we run an earthly race. So we're going to go find some time. Well, maybe we'll go sit down somewhere like I do in my dark closet. God, I, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm all these things, God, that I know, is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit would, would you fill me afresh today, before before the kids get up, before the day starts, before. Something happens just to remind me of how weak I really am. God, would you fill me? I'm just gonna sit here, Jesus. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not leaving. Hey, look, I don't. I don't know what it looks like for you. I don't. But it takes time. It takes time to be filled. And the degree that I'm filled is the degree that I have any ability to pour out for the rest of the day. So here's the deal. You can take as little time as you want or little care or little concern as you want. You're going to be done with that pretty quick. I might get to 10 a.m. Maybe to lunch. On and on and on. This one, I think, let's just use it as an example. It's going to last me all day. But at the end of the day it'll probably be over and i'm gonna get up the next morning and i'm gonna walk into my closet one more time and i'm gonna say the same thing i probably said the day before god i'm I'm tired frustrated nothing changed and then he's gonna fill me and i'm gonna worship him And I'm going to have an abiding joy, and I'm going to have a supernatural peace, and I'm going to have a strength, even in my weakness, and people are going to look at my life, and they're going to look at the staff, and they're going to look at our church, and they're going to look at the worldwide church, and they're going to look at all kinds of things, and they go, y'all must be drunk if you think this is going to work. And yet we know the truth that when we worship Jesus as one and we're filled with his Holy Spirit, that we can be joyful, we can be full of gratitude, and we can be submissive to one another and let God do his work through us, which is to be a witness to the world that he is alive and we are one. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.